0: Welcome back everybody to Bard Window, the the poetry podcast. I'm Dave Niven and uh, it's a delight to have your company. Now today, as I said, we've got a prize-winning poet with Graham Ryan who's been with us today. Welcome to the programme, Graham. Thank you very much indeed. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Now we're going to hear a lot of your lovely poetry and I am sure that the uh, listeners will appreciate it. But they also want to know, I think, a little bit about you. Now, I will briefly say a little bit. You were born up in St. Anne's-on-Sea in Lancashire. You, you called yourself a grown and I presume that's a Lancashire expression, uh, near the Ribble Estuary. And for the past 40 years, you've um, been a poet, we know that, a playwright, we're not too sure, we'll come back to that, a drama teacher, which was your uh, source of income, I believe, as much, and an ecologist. But you live now on the edge of Exmoor and you are a member of Fire River Poets in Taunton, which you have been a member of for quite some time. And you've won prizes. So a great welcome to you to the program. But you said a little bit more about yourself, would you, before we get into the poetry?
1: Yes, delighted to. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, I suppose I have got really into poetry, um, over the past um, few years since I stopped teaching drama. But a more accurate description would be to say it was a kind of underground river. And um, when I was sort of in my late teens, early 20s, um, I really did write a lot of poetry. And I kind of felt it was a real calling. Um, it connected to uh, stuff that I studied uh, for O-Level. We had a wonderful book called Nine Modern Poets. And we studied Larkin and Ted Hughes and R.S. Thomas and John Betjeman. Um, but before then, I always remember loving poetry as a child and just loving the rhymes and the kind of intricacy of it all. Um, and my job was very sort of full-time job, English teacher to start with, then a drama teacher, then a head of drama. Um, and we were putting productions on and this, that and the other. And um, the playwriting sort of happened um, because I wanted to create some stuff for students that I was teaching. But the poetry kind of went underground. And as I was coming near to finishing the drama teaching, the spring started bubbling up again, and um, there it is, I'm I'm sort of (laughs)
0: following following my heart again. I know you're back. My first uh, love, my first love. (laughs) Well, let's just go straight into it, and let's hear some of your work, if you would. Um, Now, the first one that you're going to read is called The Homeless Man Thinks of Ancient Egypt. Is that right?
1: Is, that's right. Um, okay. I can just say a little bit about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was uh, in Taunton uh, a few years ago and um, there was um, a man who was sat sort of on cardboard outside KFC. Um, it's a freezing cold day, bright sunshine. And there was something about the way he was sat, there was something about the way that he, he wanted, you know, sort of people to notice him. But it really sort of got to me. And um, this is the result of it. I kind of didn't want to see him just as a victim. I wanted to see him as um, an intelligent person in his own right, even though he is, in society's terms, an outsider. The Homeless mm. Man Thinks of Ancient Egypt.
0: And this won the Tinmouth Open Poetry Competition in 2018. I think people should appreciate that. This is a really nice poem. Sorry, after you.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, homeless Man Thinks of Ancient Egypt. I pray to the sun on these temple walls, the shifting angles and blaze of it, the way it melts the pavement ice mid-morning near the catchpoint. I imagine them as merchants, astronomers and viziers, sitting at the window of the coffee shop opposite. Then they become slaves and slave owners, baboons manoeuvring the flow and current of flinting windscreens, tax collectors. With the snapping heads of crocodiles that cancel me with an eye blink asps and hawks and chattering ibis i am sore beggar and heretic but horus shares the sun's strength with everyone and for moments he lets me stop time freezing the figures in kfc and bet Fred the bonus king jamming the screens inside lloyd's bank while Ra makes a gong back out of the street roar. The gas workers toil in their jackhammer clatter on the banks of the traffic river. One squeezes the life out of a cigarette. The vapor of his breath in a shaft of sun is like the frost of my breath in this aching air. We are brothers under the midday moon I take the divination and augury. The sun's transit takes the blaze behind high roofs. There is a trapezium of light I shuffle to at the corner. It's all closes. Someone has bought me a copy. Her glance contains a smile. I open the lid and take a careful sip. A packet of crisps too. The moneylenders have not quite taken over the temple. Anubis looks out through the eyes of a jackal-headed dog trotting up to me just out of reach. It sniffs. Ware of souls, tomb guardian, am
0: I fit for paradise? That was lovely, Graham. Thanks. I, I think, too, what I would like, if you don't mind, is for you to go straight into another poem, because this next one, I just want you to hear reading again. I just liked it so much. It's called To Become a Nightingale. And for me, it actually just showed what a fantastic imagination you have. So would you mind reading that next? Thank you very much, Dave. No, not at all.
1: Thank you. Um, to Become a Nightingale. Struck dumb by universal credit, I entered the hedge school of charity shops prized apart jackets of musty spins on the men's rail, looking for sub olive. Found two brown gabardines and a rain cape. I got to work with thread and kitchen scissors, cut a length of dowel for wing struts, made a balsa wood tail and daubed it in cherry red shoe polish with a coat hanger wire to raise and lower it, and sat in a sycamore three nights in the park. No luck. The doctor suggested a course of Bjork, Berkeley Square, and Blackbird Singing in the Dead of Night. I self-medicated between Axel Rose and Ziggy Stardust, till an episode on a rooftop, it was the herring gold yogels, got me sectioned. I absconded without prescription, nested in copses by ring roads and flyovers, Quivered gabardine wings in blackthorn winter, craving a mic. One morning I upped sticks holding a sign, Nightingale? And was dropped off finally deep in the southeast, near woods at dusk, with my battery running low. What I heard next was the real thing, as it shook and shocked the darkness awake. I wrote this. Nightingale, with your voice box, your jewel box, scattering pearls and opals, garnet, beryl, moonstone, cornelian out of the dazzling bush of night, no artificer or jeweler can come close. And left it under a stone on the grass. I came back next morning to this reply, quill penned with wet soil. You a poet, jug, 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 chirru, chirru. Then this message flashed up on my screen. No search engine trawling the fetch of the known world can find me. No app or device command the body of my song as I shudder you now into deepest space. The phone died as the song began. Others like me, shuffled, were gathered in branches, taken shuddering into the eyes of nightingales. As feathers shrugged and shivered in us, beyond leaves and imagined wings, tailbones, out of our beaks, gates bright yellow, I cannot, cannot begin, cannot repeat, explain what what we what we were singing and singing and...
0: Thank you, Graham. That was really great. I, I loved that poem. Um just say a couple of words about where you went in that poem and what prompted it. Um, well, what prompted it was
1: um, actually seeing a nightingale sing as well as obviously hear it. And uh, my wife and I, we tracked one down um, in a wonderful place called Nep in Sussex. And it was in this whole thicket of blackthorn and brambles and they're very shy and furtive when they sing, even though their song is utterly amazing. And we finally caught a glimpse and we managed to sort of sit very, very still. And um, I'm very interested in kind of outsider characters. And I'm very interested in how people look at things from the margins. And um, so that's why I sort of thought of somebody who, you know, may not be experiencing the easiest kind of life. But is transported into kind of the world of a nightingale, becomes a nightingale, and um, I think one of the things in my poetry that I'm really interested in is the kind of magical connections, the imaginative connections that we can make. And for me, um, there is a kind of transcendence and a magic about poetry, and um, I mean that in an absolutely real sense. Um, and I, I and I I see the the, the poetic eye as a transforming eye, or as a revealing eye of what is there uh, underneath the surface. Because actually, I, I do believe existence is a very, very magical thing. Okay. And, it's not to be, and it's not to be kind of rationalised or, or... There's a quote from Blake, bring out number, weight and measure in a year of dearth. And I don't think poetry is in a year of dearth, it's a flourishing.
0: Okay, well a lot to think about there. Thanks. I mean, listen, I, I, I want to hear more of your poetry. So I, I'm going to ask you to read a poem called Ignition, which you were third prize winner in the Torbay Open Poetry Competition uh, about three or four years ago. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: So please, can we have uh, Ignition?
1: Yes. Um, thank you. Yeah, Ignition um, is about really this kind of magical way of of the world revealing itself. And that maybe the world is dreaming us. Maybe we're not kind of holding the world in our heads. It's got its head. I put on a suit of light in the oven. Entered the long tide. Saw the faces of my mum and dad become mine. Each wave carrying ancestors with it. Sending a flash down each sleeve of night. In electricity of the past and to come. Remember the smell like sparks from the wires of the dodgens, the tang of a struck match, black dot fumes of a cap gun? We crept as kids into the garden shed and dared each other to put the tips of our tongues on the two-pronged light sockets for kicks, tingled in the aftershock, sucked a 1901 dark copper penny to see if we could time travel while the sun lasered ants through a magnifying glass on the paving slabs. I don't have my flying dreams so often now, but after my stepdad's funeral, I glimpsed a chariot that seemed to move through clouds as the sun broke. And sometimes I feel I could still pull on the air, like at the edge of a swimming pool, lift myself up to keep on rising above the roofs and maring grass dunes of Saint Andrews, sensing in the solar plexus the evening light, open pavilions to travel great distances. But what did it mean that night when the blood thump in my heart almost came to a stop? In the dream I was standing outside our house, my mother and sister behind me, and I had to go in in order to save us and I couldn't because death and darkness were going at it hammer and tongs, waking me bolt upright to gasp for each breath. It was the week after mum died. My friend John has his own story a nightmare that turned into something beating inside his mouth, until in the dream he opened it and a bat flew out, bringing peace. Once on St. Anne's Beach near the pier, there was a jolt in the air and I smelt the aftershock of the lightning bolt that just missed me. A singed strand of hair, a sign, followed by the bomb blast overhead and the first big drop. We listened for thunder on the train track, our ears to the rails, became both medium and current for the electric eel at puberty, crossing the rope bridge with its naked lines as they flashed back and forth in torrential rain, summoning the girls in their sun of rocks. The jolt to the heart that day as she got off the bus, that smile she had. In my father's house on many mansions, The current blows the locks like the look she gave me once, arcing through time and space because the world is dreaming of us, drumming with wings inside that alight,
0: then take off in new formations. Thank you, William. That was really well read. Thank you. I can see in that poem as well, you're talking about When you think about the value of poetry, the impact of poetry on everybody's lives and the way that it can be a very unique descriptive medium. Lovely. Okay, well look, all your poems are going to be available on the Bard Windows site, you know, if people subscribe and click on to have a look at everybody's, all poets' poetry. But uh, just to remind people that they can visit your poetry forever and a day after this on the site as well. So should we give them one more? Yeah. Yeah. Thank okay. you. OK. I believe there's a poem called Flying Visit that you would like to read.
1: Um, yeah. 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 Which takes me um, back to my childhood. Ah. And it gives a kind a of magical basis of reality. Um, and... Um, yeah, that, that all of these realities, all of our memories are coexisting even as we are alive here and now in 2021. So a flying visit. Okay. I see shiny, bald, fit necked Mr. Metcar, blowing smoke rings in his braces and white singlet, resting arms on the dining room table as tobacco stains spiral his thoughts up to the ceiling, facing the mirror that spins him slowly in reflection ex-police sergeant lighting one cigarette from another. The sugar in his tea rotating as his wife sets down the tray reverses, so the mirror lifts itself off the wall. Tipping up years in a scatter of back gardens and alleys, cantilevering rooftops and chimney stacks till starlings pour out, leave aerials twanging. A light on Miss Darlington's watering can, that dips to slake the throats of blue hydrangeas in number 12. O oh, Stephen Street of St Anne's-on-Sea, your tarmac's asphalt after rain is perfume. your photographs rock on sideboards and sills in a gospel of tones. And now comes a day of flying ants, the winged females in all the gardens. I am standing in Gladys New Parker's Hallway, near the statue of her African prince, Nicodemus. Her Lancashire Rs and vowels float towards me. Auntie Doris is pastry brushing milk across a meat and potato pie with its fork holes, placing it with oven gloves on the middle shelf for her lodger, Harry Bailey's tea. This gesture she makes, repositioning a hair grip, lives for 50 years in the mirror. Her laugh between number seven and number nine Conjures Ruby the spaniel's bark through walls. As a cat hightails it along the fence. Composes head and feet into an Egyptian carving. As it yawns to its needle teeth. Dice shake the houses and out we all tumble. Kicking dried white dog dirt. Walking on stilts. Venturing knock-a-door run and chain to. Geoffrey Logan, three years older, sparks up a silk cut. Which I hold and inhale. Try blowing smoke rings. Slash up the wall as high as he can. My dad is sandpapering the gate. My mum clipping the mock orange bush. I once ate petals from it in my crown, And now he dips his brush into the painting. See that streak on the brick wall right here? It dripped one afternoon and you can still see the mark. What kind of blue? I ask him. And my dad looks right back through the mirror. And tells me it is royal blue. Or was it ultramarine? As the world's flashing alongside this one, lift the lid off the tin and make a flying saucer of it, scattering drops and particles that swallow dive with us into the great accelerator.
0: Lovely stuff. Thanks. So, poetry, I know you said you had this kind of 30-year hiatus in which it kind of slightly went under the radar for a while while you had to concentrate on all these other things, but um, some of your poetry is really engaging. Um, what, tell us a little bit, Graham, because what you think actually of poetry's value to society as a whole, because so many people, in my view have got more of a superficial view of poetry, whereas some of the greater poets that you listen to really understand the value of their work in terms of influencing and explaining. I mean, where would you sit?
1: Well, yeah, I, I would say that that um, like with Coleridge, when he said that poetry is the best words in the best order, um, that shows you that, you know, one definition definition of poetry is to try to use language in the most memorable way to create a connection, to create effects, to um, communicate with people and to communicate with yourself. So these have got to be the best words and you've really got to work so hard at putting them in the best order. And I don't sort of mean to be kind of too grandiose or anything, but I do think of poetry as a kind of secular prayer. And poetry is what we turn to you know, when really momentous things happen, you know, when, when we hear poems read at funerals when poems are created for the birth of children. Um, there's something about poetry, and about language that's being distilled and refracted and used in its most powerful, powerful effect, which, you know, is, is something innately human. It, it's something right at the core of us. And again, you know, I, I just think it is the language of the soul. It, it absolutely is. And um, it's magical. It, it, it's it's mm-hmm. you you put the you put these work these black and white marks down on paper, as Simon Armitage says, and they become these kind of voltages of meaning, units of meaning, just
0: sending out. Um, so they'd better be good. They'd better be well written. It is pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? And and also in 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 my view, it the, to keep remembering that every poem is personal. Every yeah. poem, um, is p- so personal to the poet themselves. They can't be somebody else. You know, they, 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 this is them. This is the reflection of themselves. A bit like, um, it was Oscar Wilde saying, you know, you've got to, to absolutely be yourself. You just can't be anybody else because everybody else has been taken.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, when, when, when one is, you know, having sort of serving an apprenticeship, um, you know, which is, i would still consider myself just an apprentice. Um, and you, you know, you, you, listen to other poets, you have your favorites, you pick up voices. Um, but the whole idea is that you're getting closer and closer to what it is that you want to say that is uniquely, you know, to be said by you. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a trail that you keep on going on and on and on. And some days you're lucky and some not. Mm. Um, uniqueness,
0: absolutely Well now look I I, we, I, think we've probably got enough time for another poem of yours definitely another one and we'll see how it goes but I, the one I would like you to read if you would be so kind is called Listen and it, it's all about birdsong on Exmoor if I believe where where is where you live now is that right? That's
1: correct, yeah that's correct and um, this is the, the sort of the ecologist in me and um, it's, it's to try and kind of go through the year and just follow the year through the songs of birds, um, and to really attend, sort of encourage people to listen. Um, okay. so here we go. It's kind of written in zigzaggy couplets as well if you want to visualize it. Okay. Liz, listen, X-More Almanac. The Dipper, that afternoon by the X threaded a high necklace of song above the river's onrush, dived in and re-emerged, shaking its wings clear of the water, sang once more blink of silver in its hiding. The first blackbird, flirting sotto voce with spring, makes radio contact out of holly and ivy, and the song-thrush fashions small ivory statues in triplets that echo in Whittipool Churchyard, from burnt-out bracken in a hailstorm, the wren has become a tight bobbin of song, a spinning jenny. Snow banks deep over the sunless coons and high roads, a, bl- a buzzard plucks muse out of the gut taut air. Raven and carrion-crow with their dark sprack press down hard on the black keys. Snow-fever chatter at field fairs and redwing in the fields of ice. One morning, wind swings west, till a chip-chap, then another, hang their abacus of notes along the hadio and horner. On preyway meads, the planetary calls of golden plover meet the first larks high up, drizzling balsam from the gods. Jitterbug of darkened warblers on North Hill, stone tap of stone chat. From branches in back gardens, a willow warbler lets slip a yellow lace scarf of sound that drifts across the punch bowl, as blackbirds delve deeper into their arias, their coloratura, poetic champions composing variations that time cannot catch. One dawn, on the whim of a trade wind, a cuckoo at three coon's foot arrives, distilling spring and summer into its beach theatre. Two notes older than the barrows, older than Karatika's stone. Cuckoo the ventriloquist, popping coconut heat in the gorse. Conjurer with his cackle, as cumulus sail their timepieces across the blue. And tree pumpkins all morning parachute their song above ball valley woods with their dynasties of lichen. Piedflycatcher, flycatcher, redstart and wood warbler make vocal the light of water. Chets clings to its windchats, chats, Tom's hill its tail flicking meteor. Nightjar, the goat-sucker with his moth frequencies, cheers at dusk above Lee Hill, tuning the moon's radio set along a branch of nightfall. Silent August rounds robins up to light the first braziers of autumn, the dipper sewing its silver again by the river, as if all this could never cease. And I think uh, she wanted to say a couple of things about that poem as well. Mm, please, that, that poetry um, is also has got um, some healing substances in it. Um, it's it, it, it's it's sort of a balm that you can pour on the world. So in the midst of you know the the biodiversity crisis that we're in at the moment, this is an attempt to kind of say you know the, the birds sing as if all this could never cease. And they are still singing, um, maybe in lesser numbers, but that balm that they pour on the world is still there. Um, and and I, I, I put that poem in um, a kind of ecological calendar book that I created through the year called Nature Notes Calendar. Um, and that finished, that poem finishes the book off as a very mm.
0: hopeful note. Well, look, that, plus others, plus lots of others that we could have read today if we had time, Uh, We're going to be putting on the site as we develop this new poetry podcast. I mean, I'm really grateful to you, Graham, being one of the first guests, and I think we ought to remind people that this work that you've read and any other of your work that you want people to see will be available on the site in your pages. And I think, you know, that, that and the way we develop other poets from now on, we can build up a real body of craft that actually can um reflect all the good in poetry so what, what would I mean what would you say to people um anybody out there who's beginning to think about writing poetry or has written poetry but hasn't really stepped over the line in terms of showing it or reading it w- would you give any encouragement to them
1: yeah definitely um I mean the first thing is read as much as you can just saturate yourself in poetry Um, because, you know, you will pick up so much about the craft. You will start to, start to tune your own voice and start to find your own voice and, you know, start to send off to magazines, um, enter a few competitions, um, definitely join a local poetry group, find a group near you because the critical feedback you will get is invaluable. And, um, you, you definitely need lots of other voices to kind of look at your work and sort of give you the most positive feedback you can get, but also to really hold you to the test. Mm. Um, and, and all of those things, I think, you know, will, will move you on to the next stage.
0: And Fire River, uh, poets, the group you belong to in Taunton, um, that's been established for quite some time, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it started in the 1970s, late 70s, I think. Um, and, um, it's, you know, it's a very, um, very good and strong institution, and it's a fantastic forum for for new poets. A fantastic forum to share your work, to workshop it, to get good feedback, um, and you know, people who are established poets in their own right. So you know, you can trust what they're saying, and it's it's a very very supportive group. Um, yeah, we put we put readings on with guest poets every month as well. Um, so we you know, we kind of really branch out into the, the big wide world of poetry. Um Not just sort of staying within um Toronto or even the South um we did have um the forward prize winning poet Caroline Bird um in April and um you know she's a major league poet so um yeah, join compose oh. you
0: by all means. We'll put some details of fire rivers if you want on uh on uh to the site as well as um as you mentioned anything that you've published yourself, any books that you would like people to have a look at. We can put links to them. There's absolutely no problem whatsoever because this is a sharing site. And I'd just like to say, firstly, thanks, Graham. I mean, it's been a lovely pleasure having you. I'm sure we'll have you back again to read more of your poetry at a future date. And the next podcast, I've got to say, people you know too, but we're going to have Rosie Jackson and Dawn Gorman, who are both prize-winning poets, um, reading some of their work, and one specifically that they collaborated on, which is fantastic. So thanks to Graham Ryan for today. Looking forward to Rosie and Dawn next time. And in the meantime, keep writing. Thanks and goodbye.
1: Thank you very much indeed, David. Thank you and thanks for this wonderful opportunity. And um, I've really enjoyed it. And just best of luck with with all of your um, Bard window site.